Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hello and welcome to Nerdificent. I am one half of your host. And sitting across from me is that boy, that thick boy, that young swole boy. <laughs> I don't know. That's debatable so now. If, nope, nope. And I see I'm, a lot of women that have been speaking up that you're not as thick as you oh once gosh. were. I'm just thick in a different way. They're slim <laughs> thick. I'm slim thick now. But I guess you know. I'm sli- I'm I'm thick in certain areas. Yeah, I got exactly. A nice Where it counts. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's me, Ify Wadi Way, and we're kicking it off with a young guy. Uh, the guest is not particularly young. A lot of people seem to be confused when I just throw young in front of people, names, pronouns as just a thing to say, like tight. Yeah, yeah. Or like fresh, like he's a new guest to us. Yeah. That was the connotation I took. Yeah. 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 There we go. Uh, we have comedian and writer, producer, and host for Machinima, Mr. Kyle Shire. Hi, everybody. Hey, hey. how's it going? It's I like going your swell. Jurassic Park Hawaiian shirt. Thank you. Yeah. Very it's dope. It, Yeah. You, you don't quite notice the raptors at first. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I thought those were uh, just scary roses. No. Nope. No. <laughs> um, you are alive when they you, start to eat you. <laughs> did you see that they closed down the ride at Universal? I guess, and I was like, what? And then it was like, yeah, to make it Jurassic World. I'm like, well, can you all calm down? That's like the same thing. I, I yeah. hope they don't <laughs> do they just gonna... the Disney thing where it's the same ride. They just add voice lines from the movies <laughs> and add a Johnny Depp figure. Oh, Actually, God. I hope they do do that. They're going to have Chris Pratt. Uh-huh. No, no Chris Pratt. It's, it's all J- Jurassic World line and Johnny Depp. <laughs> as, like, as Jack Sparrow, no yeah, context. Yeah, yeah. Like That's what <laughs> Disney is like. We're cutting ties with Johnny Depp. We're selling these Jack Sparrow. And Universal's like, we'll take them. Uh, we'll take them. All right, there we Just go. Hide behind a Velociraptor. <laughs> He's uh, the voice of the Indominus yeah. that they have come through. It was just yeah. iffy. So many of our friends uh, posted. I saw like, oh, went on the final ride for Jurassic Park. And I was just like, what happened? Dude, I don't trust Universal because I, you know, I grew up out here in L.A. I thought I had to burp. I didn't. Now I do. That's a no better cookie. I like that. Did you get that here or you brought it? I brought it. I got okay. it from here. Yeah. You got it from here? Yeah. Good. I Then they do have the cookies. I've. I added keto foods all here. All of a sudden, everybody else is on keto. Sophie, she's on keto. And I guess uh, Jacquees is doing something close. Y'all, get off my stuff. I couldn't. Like, who else is going to eat that junk in the fridge now? Who's going to eat all that? Dan raised, our producer raised his hand. Here's the thing. I I could not eat anything at my own studio because some of us have to be gluten free. And so Sophie went out and ordered a bunch of gluten free stuff, and my box is empty because people in this office have been eating my snacks. Yeah, that's that's that was funny when I just saw that box dwindle. I was like, man, I feel like. Everybody all of a sudden got gluten free. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh, look. You know what? They see our thick bodies and they're like, "What's working?" Yeah, mm-hmm. we yeah, it's get the gluten. There. That's what's keeping me unthick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. No, I mean, but we're whatever. You and I both work out. That's what I'll. Yeah, yeah. You, we've been lifting every morning at five a.m. Get up with me if you're trying to lift. But <laughs> we, what is, what here is, comes the tantrums. Hey, we we even got a 
listener uh, <laughs> feedback. I guess they're not a listener anymore. They, they specifically <laughs> uh, in the in the message sent a long long message saying that they hated the tangents that we talk about our experiences with the stuff Weird. too much I, I feel like that's the definition of a podcast uh but you know it's all good i, I don't want to hate too much just enough to make you feel bad and never send me a message like that again no if i have something i need to say though we are i don't know if y'all know this a part of how stuff works comedy yeah we are two comedians and we're not gonna just make this an educational boring podcast if you want that go somewhere else the reason why iffy and i got picked up and got hired and were sent some monies mm -hmm. uh from how stuff works to be on this network is because our previous podcast where we had a really good chemistry together so we like sharing our experiences if you want someone to go over minute details of a nerdy thing this is not the podcast for you also yeah that it feels like you, some people just want the boring part about nerd stuff i think the fun and and i know some people just took their headphones out like oh <gasps> Yeah, I think the fun in nerddom and the information from nerddom is people's reactions, which is why we have tons of guests who are passionate about the source material we're talking about, even if we may not be as well-versed in it. That way we have at least one person in the seats, jazzed up, and also we get to turn around and let them tell us about their experience and get to share that with y'all. This isn't going to be... You know, I'm a like we'll we'll give you the rundown on the basics, but we're not we're not gonna like be like pop quiz. Here's all the stuff because in episode thirty six of well, yeah, I because I feel like if we did a podcast about that, people would only use it for evil. No one would use it for good. <laughs> people would only use it to they gatekeep and yeah. like argue mm -hmm. with us. Yeah, I do want to say though, our most listened to episode still is our MCU episode with Hector Navarro, where Dan and I were talking about this earlier, where we did go on tangents. We talked about what we loved about the films and what we didn't. It wasn't just like here's a factual, and then Thor showed up, and then this and that. Like we gave you the main highlights of what you needed to know from each film but then we discussed and debated about them and i think that and also laughed a lot and i think that is what makes this podcast great i don't know i think you guys should be ashamed of yourselves for having emotional <laughs> reactions to things that you love Take, i yeah. absolutely should be ashamed of yourself i really like our comic con episode where i talked about how i got in by pretending to be with party boy from jackass yeah. and like those are the behind the things <laughs> that you need to know about yeah. and how iffy you got in trouble for like I don't know uh, you you were like sexting with a girl on AOL Messenger oh, or yeah, something yeah when the FBI came to my house for uh, like those are cyber. interesting fun Whoa. facts yeah. <laughs> to know in nerd culture so speaking of which we are covering with Kyle here today who is an expert in Avatar The Last Airbender you actually have it tattooed on your body I do I have the symbol of the Holy air nomads tattooed on my body with the words let go because air is the element of freedom how many people confuse that for a frozen tattoo um, most people confuse it for either 666 <laughs> uh, no Love joke it. Love <laughs> or, it. They, or they think it's a Celtic symbol okay. um, can I see yeah. Wait, well, I want to see it again yeah it's so great because I oh I see how it could be frozen um yeah, I also have my my French my fandom tattooed Aww. above my wrist too. I love it. Nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I got the the biggest meaning. I was trying to think of a non curse word way to describe this character. One of his battle cries, Imperious Rex, and we all got it oh, in pretty okay. close That's so proximity. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Imperious Rex, because I wanted a nerd tattoo that would be subtle mm -hmm. uh and cool. Also, I like it being a reference that not every nerd gets straight up, <laughs> just speaking of gatekeeping. But not even like to make people feel bad about yeah. it, but like one of those like, if you know, you know. Because I'm a big Marvel guy, really love uh just the uh, whole Illuminati behind it, which oh yeah. Sorry if you don't know by now. Uh, Imperious Rex is Namor the Submariner's battle cry. That's what he yells when he goes into battle, and his, it's Latin for powerful king. It's uh, it's kind of like if you've descended or ascended, depending on your point of view, to like a level of nerddom. You know, yeah. like you, you'll know, and then it's like, okay, cool, you're on my level. Yeah, he's he, <laughs> but it, for all intents and purposes, he's the worst. And people were looking at me when I had this tattoo because everyone knows I'm a huge Black Panther fan. But there was a whole arc where him and T'Challa oh, yeah. were at odds, and they're like, "How do you feel about this?" I was like, <laughs> conflicted. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I understand. I'm an Emma Frost fan from Marvel, Ooh, so I, okay. I understand conflicting yeah. feelings. You know, it's only about three writers got her right, so I understand 
your 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 feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, before we totally dive into the timeline of of Avatar: The Last Airbender, what was your first introduction to it? How did you first? I mean, were, did you watch it when it first came out on Nickelodeon? Uh, I did not watch it when it first came out on Nickelodeon because I was in high school and uh, I wasn't. I I was too cool to watch it. But then a friend of mine, when I got into college, uh, was like, "You need to watch the show. You absolutely need to watch it." And it had just ended. Uh, and so I got uh, a hard drive with the three seasons uh, of The Last Airbender, and I just ran through it, and it became – I watched it at such a, a perfect moment in my life because so many of the lessons just kind of like, I don't know, emboldened me and made me a better person in a lot of ways and um, especially helped me like come into my own as like a queer person. So like, I don't know, just a lot of ways it really helped me out. It was the best. Yeah, I also didn't watch it in high school because – I don't know. So I was looking at the timeline. It, it – uh, First aired February 21st, 2005, and that's when it premiered, and I was in my junior year of high school. Same thing, like the area that I lived in, it wasn't really cool to watch quote-unquote cartoons, and I was still kind of secretly watching Dragon Ball Z, but that was something that I started (laughs) when I was 10, so a little bit different. But Dragon Ball Z can span a lot of age ranges, I feel like. True, true, but it was still weird for me to watch it as a teenage girl, where I was. And then I was looking, because Legend of Korra then came out in 2012, and I was like, oh, I was getting married then, (laughs) and then I was getting divorced. So like, I actually didn't really grow up, I didn't really watch this series at all. Like, I still haven't really picked it up. And that's why I'm really, we brought on Kyle to kind of, one, because you're a huge expert and love it, but also to kind of fill in the gaps for me. Um, You don't need to write me (laughs) anybody. I know that I need to watch it along with a billion other things that I haven't had time to watch. But I'm just saying those times in my life were times when I wasn't. When I was married, I would have to secretly like record anime that I wanted to watch. It was so uh, weird. My husband kind of made me feel weird for being an adult that watched cartoons. It's just a reminder. And again, I'm saying I know it's not cartoons, but like that's what people call it. And just a reminder to me that there's still so many areas like that yeah. where we're really lucky to be in an area. And I think in like part of nerd culture where it's cool or or acceptable. But like, there's still so many areas, and probably people listening where like they can't even openly talk about it with their coworkers because they're seen as weird. Like, if you don't yeah. have children, especially yeah. too. I think it's it's uh, if I could go back in time and tell myself in high school, like you know, you need to watch this show because it is a kid show. It is on Nickelodeon, but it was written in such a way because originally it wasn't necessarily intended to be a kid show. Um, but they randomly got a, a few chances at Nickelodeon and they kind of turned it into a kid show. But the themes and the stories, so much of it is so dark. Like they tell such an adult story. And by the third season, it's like, oh no, like straight up, like you can blood bend people. Like it's, it's, Messed up. Can can we curse on here? Uh, no. But we, okay, cool. if you do, but we'll I'll say messed it. up. That's cool. <laughs> messed up. It is some messed up stuff. There we go. <laughs> so wait, what is blood bending? So water benders, um, when they are during a full moon, changes a little bit in Legend of Korra, but in the Last Airbender, water benders on a full moon can bend the water in your body and basically turn you into a puppet, which is horrifying, and it also looks extremely painful, and it's like. Once once it gets to that level, it's like, oh yeah, you're not playing around. Like that's that's really messed up. Yeah. Theoretically, they could pull the blood out of your body if they wanted to. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, no, it it's so funny because looking at this timeline, I was, everything clicks back. Yeah, so it dropped February 21st, 2005, which uh, was coming on my birthday in my junior year of high school. <laughs> Born February I love, 26th. Yes, you bring this up like as many times as you can. Uh, you know, I love it. Junior year of high I love school. You. Deep in my weeb phase. You know, I'm watching Cowboy Bebop, recording <laughs> Witch Hunter Robin on VHS. Got the Naruto DVDs given to me at this point. So, yeah, no, I looked down on Avatar heavy. Like, heavy. <laughs> Just the worst type mm-hmm. of... And that's why it's so funny when people gatekeep. Because when you when you do that gatekeeping stuff, you are only hurting yourself. Because you do, especially when you do, like, elitist things like that. Like, Avatar is a beautiful show. I... I I've popped in and watched episodes uh, kind of, I think, like during season two and three mm-hmm. because it kind of still, it gained traction at my school and people kind of were talking about it. And so, like, I peeped in and then I graduated and people were openly talking. So I kind of, but I never gave it the honest full watch. Um, and that's, and it was all because of stuff like that. I think another, I've, I've, done, I've, I was that type of person. It's a, it's definitely a personality type where if something is popping, you want to find a reason not to like it. I did oh, that yeah. with MF Doom, and that's mm-hmm. one of my that's that it was with MF Doom that I told myself I would never 
do it again because everyone loved MF Doom like I think around same time junior senior year of high school and I was so like he's overrated for no reason like I did not even know what MF Doom song but because everyone was so into him I had to be the guy who was not into him so then he first did a feature on November has come with the gorillas and that's when I heard it and I your boy loved the rap. But of course, I've already set up this persona that I hate MF Doom. So it's so much so that people are like, this is a dumb thing that if he's doing, but okay. Yeah. And like I was like, yeah, no. But I was like, okay, I'll give it to you guys. His verse on November Has Come was great. Obviously, at this this point, that's the only MF Doom song I've heard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. And then it wasn't until like I graduated high school and I was like, let me just check this out because I really n- never have. And I listened to Mm Food, which came out in 2006, and it was made for people like me. It was literally a rapper that was made for me. He was he MF Doom. He was supposed to be Dr. Doom. He intercut like old fantastic four clips into his raps like stuff that would blow my mind i didn't know about didn't even listen to because of this random need to be superior in my and i was gonna say nerddom but it had nothing to just to be cool because i have to go against the grain Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is you see that a lot especially with shows like Avatar. I'm not, I've definitely wasn't the only anime nerd who like looked down on it. And I think to this well, day. I mean, it's interesting that because uh, you bring up like a lot of like staple OG animes, you know, mm-hmm. like Witch Hunter Robin, you know, you, you bring those up. And I could definitely see people within that culture like kind of looking down on Avatar, not just because it's a kid show, but because it's an American show that was uh-huh. tr- that was adopting an anime style and a lot of people look down on it for that reason and I could I could understand that but I believe I really believe that Brian Konetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino did it in such a they revered that style and you can tell throughout the entire like the the consistency and the uh their commitment to detail like they really were revering that style in such a huge way um so I and that's that becomes apparent like after you've watched Definitely season two, you know, oh God, it gets so good in season two. My roommate is rewatching it right now. So I'm like <laughs> rewatching it with him and like, you know, Appa just got kidnapped and I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> well, maybe he wouldn't have gotten kidnapped if you had called him by his real name and not Yip Yip. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. So do you want to get into the actual legend of the, the story? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we kick off with season one. It ends in December 2nd of 2005 and and it goes on for quite some time. It, it I remember when it was ending that it was like such a big deal. There were all these characters. That's that's the funny thing about popping in and out of a show mm-hmm. is like you're like who oh who's that person? Where did they come from? Oh okay <laughs> yeah. But yeah so so you know I want to approach this in a fun way and and I, I'll follow along just in case you know anything needs but I, I just want to bounce off of you and just get some so let's for, bounce because I because something I want to kind of recenter around is just having one people who are passionate about the the source material talking about but also just someone listening never heard of legend uh legend of avatar Legend of Korra, Last Airbender. Yeah, okay. Avatar, last, last, Avatar, it's last, Avatar last, the Last Airbender and the Legend of Korra. Okay, okay come well, on. I, I, I did it just like my mom would do it. You watching that? Watching that Legend of Avatar? Hey, if, did that? you see the person that Watch. people are going to be, we're doing extra tangents now just to make people mad. Did you see that person that wrote us um, when we called Lego, Leg- I mean, all the people that wrote us when yeah, we yeah, called Lego like Legos? Oh my God. Even though like a, uh, all my friends and everyone that I know calls it that, but whatever. Well, I mean, I got to, uh, you know, prove everyone wrong in the nerd way possible uh linking them to a grammar professor saying that we were right <laughs> yeah but also somebody was like well that's like your mom your grandma calling it pokemon pokemon or whatever no, and i'm not. like but no. but also i wanted to say like yeah people i feel like i know a ton of people like i don't care if my abuela says spider-man's like that's fine i'm not gonna be like i don't think tom holland cares is what i'm yeah. saying i don't think he's gonna be angry and correct her um You'd think. So, so <laughs> Kyle, can you explain to people like the legend and the story behind Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes. So it takes place in a world where, um, just to give you like a setup of the world, um, there are four nations. There's the Earth Kingdom, there's the Fire Nation, there are the Air Nomads, and there are the Water Tribe. 
And uh, they used to live together in harmony. And then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked, uh, which yeah. is what they say in the opening oh, monologue. Yeah. Um, basically, they became a colonialist um, you know, empire that was expanding and trying to take over the world because it's fire. That's you know, it's, yeah, fire, rage, passion. Um, and the Avatar is this person that has the ability to bend all four elements. Now, people throughout the world, you know, people from the water tribe can water bend. People, you know, the air nomads can air bend. Um, firebenders uh, are from the Fire Nation and Earthbenders from the Earth Kingdom. The Avatar is the person that can bend all four elements. And they're kind of like a spiritual leader, focal point for the world. They're above, you know, they're not there to rule. They're there to maintain balance and order in the world when all else fails. But something happened when the Fire Nation attacked and the Avatar disappeared and no one knew what happened to him. Um, it turns out that the Avatar was a, a young airbender named Aang who found out that he was the Avatar and ran from his destiny essentially and he escaped one night during a storm and he crashed him and his sky bison crashed into the ocean and the avatar state triggered and he froze himself in an iceberg for a hundred years and a hundred years in the future two southern water tribe uh, members Sokka and Katara brother and sister find him in, a, in an iceberg and um, he finds out that he is not only been frozen for a hundred years but that all of the air nomads have been genocided because um, the Fire Nation, the Avatar cycle goes like this. There's there's an airbender, and then there's a, a, a waterbender, and then an earthbender, and then a firebender, and then an airbender. So when the previous Avatar, Avatar Roku, who was a firebender, died, the Fire Nation knew that the next Avatar was going to be an airbender. So they genocided all of the air nomads to break oh. the Avatar cycle so that they could remain in power forever. So that's what happened. So he wakes up. He's been away for 100 years. What's going on? Oh, my God, my entire culture's dead. And I have to learn all of the four elements by next summer because there's a comet that's coming and this comet is going to make all of the firebenders incredibly powerful for a whole day, which is how they genocided the air nomads a hundred years ago. Okay. I hope I didn't wow. anything. Wow. No, <laughs> and that, no, that, that is it. Like, ev like everything I knew that I've watched totally locks up. Also, there we go. <laughs> for those uh, listening at home, he's, that was off rip. That was, yeah. he had nothing in front of him. This is just straight knowledge. Kabam. And we are like, yeah, we picked the right person to talk about this. So here's here's some questions. I'm going to hit you with some BG questions, yes. uh, which is short for beginner question, not yes. background questions. Either way, I wanted some background questions. Yeah, yeah. I have some background questions. Give me the background questions. beginner questions. Okay. So my beginner question is, so no one from a specific tribe can bend another tribe's element is what you're saying before that sort of changes in legend of Korra, but okay. for the most part no if you're from the earth kingdom you're an earthbender if you're from the water tribe you're a waterbender if you're from the fire nation you're a firebender it's i understand that you know there would be that there probably should be more migration yeah. <laughs> you know uh but in this world for simplicity's sake no if you know uh, i think the only the only people that aren't necessarily always um going to follow the uh, element of their nation of birth would probably be the air nomads because sometimes air nomads spontaneously come from other nations and then they go to the air temples. The air, the air nomads are basically Buddhists. Okay. What was the, like, what was the inspiration for the show or how did it come to be? Yeah. From what I understand, um, Brian Konetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino wanted to do a Kung Fu cartoon. And for one reason or another, they got a meeting with Nickelodeon and uh, Nickelodeon was like, we love your idea. We want to do this cartoon. But Kung Fu is a little, we don't want kids fighting each other. Could you like figure out a cooler that was way? Their, that was their, what they, oh, interesting. They were like, well, instead of fighting with kicks and punches, we'll have them, you know, be throwing water balloons and rocks at one another. Um, oh. Which is sort of, it, eventually they do straight up, you know, are, are fighting, you know, mm -hmm. with, with kicks and punches and, you know, blades and whatnot, uh, weapons of mass destruction. But for the most part, it was kind of softened figuratively because it's not necessarily fighting, it's yeah. bending. It's the bending arts. You know, it was so fascinating while you were saying that, I was trying to think of other fighting shows that they might have and all of them that kept coming up in my head have are on Cartoon Network. Yeah. So, yeah. Nickelodeon or Toonami or Adult bit, Swim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're going to have human kids... Yeah. That that look human, that have human names, that have human desires. They, you know, fighting is it's a little bit touchy for them. So okay. the bending was a way for them to kind of uh, maneuver around that a little bit. But by season three, they were straight up like, oh my god, the the stuff that they were getting away with, I can't believe it. Yeah. So what were some <laughs> of the darker, I guess, um, 
messages or tones in some of the episodes that oh you remember. God. Well, first of all, I mean, they hit you with genocide in like right. episode three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's very yeah, true. That's... It's reminded, like, I mean, in a not a subtle way, but like for something like Zootopia, which tackled a lot of racism and commentary on on that, it was it's fascinating to see it appearing in other children's programming. Quote, oh, unquote, yeah. ch- I know it's not a child's movie. I'm just saying like for things that children are also watching. Sure. Um yeah. to have something so out there. I mean, you you see and I believe it's in episode 3 or 4, but there's a flashback where Aang is is showing his mentor. His mentor is Monkey Yatsu, um who was um sort of like his father figure. They don't really have mothers and fathers in the air nomads. They have like, you know, it's much more communal. Um but anyway, Monkey Yatsu was like his father figure and um he has this medallion and there's this moment where he Aang finds Monkey Yatsu's skeleton. And it's the first time that you see him go into the Avatar state because he's um, so enraged by it. The Avatar state, for people that don't know and for you guys, sometimes the Avatar goes into what's called the Avatar state where basically the knowledge and abilities and powers of all of their past lives come into one and it's like a fail safe. So whenever their lives are in danger, they activate the avatar state and they are just incredibly powerful. It's like knowledge and skills from a thousand lifetimes immediately just zooms into your head and your eyes glow white. And it's just, you know, some avatars move continents when they're in the avatar state, like, it's crazy. Like they they go full super. It's super saiyan kind of. Yeah. I was about to say that, but I didn't want to disrespect you. You you, you would have not disrespected me at all. I I I I'm not a Dragon Ball Z person, but I respect it, and I would yeah. I'm I'm happy to bring that terminology. <laughs> okay. Well, you know that's. I feel like we really did lay the groundwork. I hope uh, so <laughs> for the show, and you know, but there was a lot more. You know, there's a lot. You know, we talk about the comic. We're talking about this. I want to talk about the development of the show, how it kind of got darker. Sure. Maybe some of the things you liked or didn't like, but we'll get into all of that after these messages. Are you looking for the perfect move-in-ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below-market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in-ready home and start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth activating melon serum this next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology it's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles with thousands of glowing five-star reviews why not give it a try subscribe today and you can get the amazing meaningful beauty system for just $49.95 that includes our introductory five-piece system free gifts free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee all of that available at meaningfulbeauty.com all right y'all i'm back here sitting with my man kyle shire you know danny's here too holding it down drinking her mint water in celsius Mm. back on this on the no i haven't opened it iffy okay (laughs) so we were talking about you know the the life of avatar the last airbender and you, you know we touched on earlier how over time it was able to get more I guess, dark adult, but also, you know, over the break, you were telling us how progressive it was at the time, too. Uh, let's hear more about that. Well, as far as female representation is concerned, I feel like it, it, is, it, it is almost unparalleled in how it 
deals with their female characters. And, you know, there's literally an episode in season one called The Waterbending Master where Katara literally fights the patriarchy. <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, it's just a, a stone wall that has patriarchy on it. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I mean, like, this character this character is meant to sort of be representation. Like, a representation okay. of it. Because, okay, so um, the, the, the bulk of season one is Katara, who's a young waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe with her brother, uh, Sokka. And they're traveling with Aang north so that he can go to the northern water tribe and learn waterbending because there are there are very few waterbenders in the South Pole, if any, because the Fire Nation killed them all. So they're going to the they're going to the water tribe, and Katara's really excited because she wants to learn waterbending. She wants to learn how to fight. She wants to learn her, about her culture and about her people. They get to the northern water tribe. They find the waterbending master, Master Paku, and he won't train Katara because she's a girl. And basically, like women waterbenders are healers, and that's it. And they they don't learn how to fight. Oh my god, I remember this episode. Yes, and there's an amazing episode. There's an amazing moment where Katara is just fed up. She's like, "No, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, do this. This is stupid. Uh, if you're, you know, if you really think I'm not uh, not the great of a waterbender, then you show up right outside this, you know, house, and we're gonna fight." <laughs> and yeah. she challenges him to a duel. This like 13 year old girl challenges a waterbending master to a duel, and he shows up and he's walking by and he's like, "You go back to the healing huts with the other women," and she. Water bends a whip and hits him in the back of the head, and then they start fighting. And there's this at, at first, you know, he's kind of playing with her because you know she's a novice and she's kind of self taught, she's an autodidact, she doesn't really yeah. know that much. And there's this amazing moment where he like throws her into a pool of water and she goes, <sighs> and then she creates like a stump of ice and then starts flinging these razor sharp discs of ice at him. Love and he's it. kind of, he's dodging them at first, but then there's this really cool slow motion, like Kung Fu moment where one literally comes within an inch of his face and you see his reflection in it. And his look is like, this little girl's trying to kill me. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really, really great. And of course he, he does best her in the end. Um, but uh, long story short, she impresses him so much that, uh, he's like, oh wow, you kind of did. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll allow women from now on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was wrong about that. Yeah, and then in the second season, you meet um, a, another central main character, which is Toph Beifong, um, who is, uh, as far as representation goes, not only is she a woman, but she's blind. So you have mm, a she's she's an earthbender, and so she because she's blind, she sees with earthbending. So she's kind of like Daredevil in a way, where she can see based off of vibrations oh, of the uh -huh. earth. So it's one of those great like. Not only is she a girl, but she's disabled and everybody underestimates her. But in so many ways, she's one of the most powerful characters in the show. And she literally changes the world like, after. And like Legend of Korra, you find out like her impact on the world has been greater than almost anyone else in the show. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And also she's like a tomboy. She doesn't give a give up nah, i'm trying to not swear <laughs> um but she's she's so awesome she's the one that teaches ang like because ang's an airbender so earth is the opposite of air and ang is all about like peace and pacifism air is like a very passive element and earth is very like mm. it's like you have to in order to bend earth you have to be like a rock yourself and ang doesn't know how to do that but Toph does because she's badass yeah uh <laughs> so it's, but like these names too like Toph, ang it's so that's one thing I thought was cool about the show is that, you know, it, it does seem like it's a all the characters are like Asian. Like it, it not is white very, yeah. specifically. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, sometimes you don't even get that in anime. So, so Oh, for sure. So like True. that's what's yeah. So that's what was really cool about the show where they were like, We are inspired by this Eastern culture and we're going to stay true to it in yeah. all senses of yeah. it you know where i feel like there is a lot of inspiration where people will still take inspiration for cultures in writing and still put you know a different culture white people at the forefront you know <laughs> not not even like a homie you know like, yeah. like like not even a homie who's like i'm here with you too it's like nah uh <laughs> we got <laughs> so so it is cool to see that as well it seems like you were super spot on earlier when you were like they cared about this culture and really wanted to cultivate it and really pay tribute to it. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I think like, uh, yeah, because the Fire Nation is largely based off of Japan. Uh, the Earth Kingdom is largely based off of China. Um, and the uh, Air Nomads were largely Buddhist, uh, Tibetan monks. Mm -hmm. And the Water Tribe is uh, Inuit for the most yeah. part. If you look at their designs, it's mm -hmm. very, very Inuit as far as like their skin color and their names. 
um, their culture. It feels very Inuit. Yeah, I was going to talk about some of their influences that are listed here. Um, so it's their character designs were influenced by Chinese art and history, Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, and yoga. Um, the fighting styles employed by the show's characters are derived from Chinese martial arts, for which the filmmakers employed a uh, Sifu Kiso. I'm not going to talk about the uh, film, but oh uh, no no no. <laughs> No, no, no. I think this is not the film. I think this is okay. The animated. Well, I, in the in the show, like all of the bending styles are based off of real fighting styles. Like uh, water bending is largely based off of tai chi. Air bending is uh, based off of bagua, which is mm-hmm. like circle fighting, mm-hmm. um, because air is all about circular circular motion. Fire bending, I believe, is uh, tiger style. I think tiger crane. I want to say, um, and uh, earth bending is based off of hungar kung fu, with the oh, exception nice. of Toph, who fights with a. Toph Beifong literally fights with a fighting style, a style of kung fu that was developed by a blind woman. Oh, yeah, wow. it looks like the yeah. Chugar <laughs> Southern Praying Mantis style can be seen practiced by the airbender Toph. Yeah, um, earthbender. Yeah. Does it say airbender? No, okay, sorry, gonna, earthbender. I'm what gonna, did I say? You said airbender. Yeah, I have so many. I have so many. One other thing I just <laughs> wanted to say, um, so they also employed cultural consultants Edwin Zane and calligrapher Sue Lung Lee to help determine its art direction and settings. Yeah, so they... Definitely had other people working on this to help them make it what it is. It's so beautiful, too. Incredibly authentic. I wanted to talk real quick about the animation because it was mostly done by uh, South Korean studio JM Animation, DR Movie, and MOI Animation, which is very common. So even uh, in shows or quote-unquote anime shows that are made here – uh, or even Japanese ones are typically the animation studios are in South Korea. And I'm learning that now as I'm starting to work with animation studios. And also our friend LaShawn Thomas, who worked on Legend of Korra, uh, has also uh, said and worked um, in this field as well, where it's like, no, he. I think he actually moved to South Korea to work on some of the projects that he has worked on so he could be so close to the studio. Wow. But yeah, a lot of people don't know that, that uh, most of the animation is done in 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 South Korea and then uh, either worked on in Japan or here in America. Yeah. Just wanted to tight add that tight. little tidbit. Tids. Mm, tight, tight. The tids. So, you know, before we move on and start talking about Korra, I really... <laughs> so much to cover. <laughs> yeah. I really want to talk about two things. Yes. One, I want to talk about, you know, the, the finale, how you felt, how it hit oh. you, watching it live. And two, I think a fun thing to talk about is this movie because I felt like <laughs> oh, that's God. that's where me Oof. and Avatar fans really get to to bond is y'all also had a monstrosity made oh, yeah. of your <laughs> beloved source material. Yes. Uh, I, I do want to say um, th- this is just I looked on its Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the most shade. Um, oh, no. It says, listen, it's this is on the Avatar The Last Airbender, the series thing. It says... <laughs> And uh, The Last Airbender considered one of the worst movies ever made, which was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Wow, that's actually listed on their wow. thing. It's not wrong. And then accepted. It's like nobody, wrong. Nobody has gone in and changed it. Like possibly, no, it, it is one of the worst movies ever made. Wow, that's a lot of shade uh, from Wikipedia. M. Night Shyamalan reads it and just was like, yeah. About that. He's not even trying to correct it. I, um, to, 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 to go off of what you were saying, as far as the, the finale is concerned um i i did not watch it live uh because i was always watching it on a, on a hard drive that my friend gave me ah. um but uh i i cried it was so cathartic that's the way i'll put it i'll say that it meant a lot because the way that you know that the the last airbender is all about ang learning the remaining three elements Water bending, earth bending, and fire bending, so that he can eventually defeat the fire lord before the fire lord can take over the world and so you know that each season is him learning a new element and kind of progressing along that line. And I'll say that when he gets to the end and he makes his choice, the choice that he makes at the end, it is so wonderful and cathartic because he doesn't change who he is ultimately. He's been wrestling with this dark destiny for so long and it's the reason why he ran away that night when he froze himself in the iceberg. And it's a moment where you're like, no, this if you ever have something going on in your life where you where you constantly are thinking like I have to face this dark task, I have to do this thing that I really really don't want to do that's completely against me, 
you find yourself and there's a moment where you're like, oh, I don't have, I can actually change the rules if I want to. And that's exactly what Aang did. Aang changed the rules instead. He was like, I don't have to play this game. I can make my own game. Yeah. And that's, and that's ultimately like the most beautiful part of it. You know, that's so good. I did want to say 10 years since the season finale Avatar The Last Airbender is considered one of the greatest shows of all time. So 10 years since- yeah. I'm going five... to just do a quick, it was 2008, July 19. 2008. Oh, so yeah, it was 10, so, 10 yeah, years. Ten, so it was this year. That was the 10 year. Yeah. It looks like 5.6 million people watched the season finale. That's amazing. Yeah. That's some real good um, numbers, especially for a cartoon. My God. Oh, one of the yes. most watched season finales in Nickelodeon's history. I mean, and we covered Nickelodeon, and they had a lot of shows. It's just really, it's really incredible when you think about it, because like the entire structure, and we can get into the differences with Korra, but the entire structure of the show of the Last Airbender is culminating to a showdown between Aang and the Fire Lord, and that's what's amazing about it. It's it's three seasons of a very tight, very concise story, whereas in Legend of Korra, which is four seasons, it's it's four sort of self-contained seasons. Yeah, it's it's Korra dealing with four very different situations. Yeah, also like this was this is a wave. of I feel like closure that happened because just a year earlier in uh, on the 21st of July in 2007, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was released. So, so you got, and I feel like the Venn diagram of Harry Potter fans and like, <laughs> so like, they're like, Oh man, we just ended Harry Potter. Oh man. Avatar. Yeah. I did want to mention one thing before we move on. And that is the last airbender comics, which were uh, licensed and published by dark horse, yes. uh, which were very popular as well. You get to find out some tea on Zuko's mom, which Ooh. is very interesting. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you yeah. can actually, still pick those up i was gonna say before we move on to legend of korra we might need to take a break oh yeah and when we come back from that break we'll definitely start with your trash movie Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Act Activating Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Okay, I guess welcome back. And uh, I was just kidding. I'm not going to force you to talk about that movie. I'll I'll say this about the movie. I'll say this, okay? I love bad movies. I love me some bad movies. I love bad, campy movies. We got some uh, Neil Breen heads in here. Oh, man. Okay. Never mind. I I looked inquisitively. Neil Neil Breen is like a... Like, he is a guy who somehow gets to keep making bad movies. Uh, that's okay. a lot of and, people uh, in this town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, his movies are so bad that they're cult classics. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so people are like, yeah. watch it. Like, I'll just, uh, 
just give you a quick taste speaking of tangents and then uh oh no and after this we'll just jump right back into it but oh dear what is this iMovie <laughs> ed- editing software i know that iMovie effect <laughs> what is what is this wow what are what have you oh this is the day it all changed why why are his pants tucked in okay while you're watching that i'm gonna drop some quick facts on the last airbender live action film which premiered <laughs> june 30th 2010 it has a six percent rating on uh rotten tomatoes man wow the this is the critics consensus the last airbender squanders its popular source material i do have to say that's a hard thing to do which we keep seeing people do you have perfect beautiful source material and a whole ton of fans to back it up and uh, you ruined it that um that's an interesting thing when that happens uh, well because uh, what usually happens is studios yeah i was going to say suits <laughs> and suits? really just give away <laughs> how i really feel and who i really am uh <laughs> But you you have studios who buy properties because they're like, oh, these kids love this. Yeah. And then they buy it and they're like, yeah. well, ooh, they're going to see it no matter what. So let's try and make it cool yeah. for the cool people yeah. when it's already cool. I will say this to, to complete my thought. I love bad movies. This movie does not have any camp value. It is so bad. You can't even watch it like oh, no. high. You can't even get high and be like, let's watch this bad movie. It is so bad. <laughs> it, it like I would say like 40% of it's just voiceover. 40% of it is just them. And it's it's so weird what his thinking was. Like he thought he could condense an entire season of a show into a movie. And I heard that he even snuck a twist in there. Was there a twist? Uh, I didn't know. There's not. always uh, a twist. So um, other, the other the other gross thing is that everyone's white. <laughs> Oh, remember, no. remember, remember, we were like, it's so great that this show is like, you know, so yeah. like there, there's not a single white person. No, 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 no. Aang is white. Katara is white. Sokka is white. Oh, sorry, no. sorry. Ong is white. Soka is white. And Wait, that's how they, they pronounce it. it Soka. And oh, the no. only non-white people are the firebenders and the Earth Kingdom people. Oof. Well, the thing that makes it rough is like Sokka and Katara are drawn so dark. Dark! That, that so to see them <laughs> choose anything other than a person of color. Yeah. It's mar- it, it, it really is insane. It really is insane to me. Um, also, I- when the director of the movie is a person of color, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. Because I will say, sometimes people of color, when you're a new director, you kind of have to play the ball game to keep your job. Not M. Night Shyamalan. This dude is a storied director who loves hanging out with Danny at Comic Con. <laughs> Shut like, up! But like this, so he it's was like chill. he can if if M Night Shyamalan he has that clout where he could have been like, nah, they we all we're going to straight up. I don't know. Ch- uh, China getting the kung fu yep. peeps in this, and we rocking it. I don't know. I don't know if he actually can do that all the time. I think that still. Uh, I mean, POC not with his directors. current track record. Yeah, I was going to say POC I, directors I, are still at the mercy of studios that want white led films. Uh, the only thing, because we do have to move on, uh, yeah. is I just wanted to say the only thing worse in this movie is the the critics that are trying to be clever in their Rotten Tomatoes thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, one of them said um, from Amy Nicholson um, of IE Weekly. I mean. God bless you. But yeah, yeah, I uh, love it. Paul, I was like, oh, so you, you're going to credit and throw shots? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. This is what she said. Whatever. Uh, call M. Night Shyamalan a woodbender. This kitty cast is a flat and stiff as particle board. Oh, yeah. Call, <laughs> call that out. Well, that yeah, you're right to call that out. I'm sorry. They need to know. Don't you, do that. Yeah, you need to do better. You need to do better. <laughs> Ma'am. That reminds me of a quote from Cinderella's story where it was like, grade A beef, well, that cow must have cheated on its exam. Okay, moving on to the <laughs> legend of Korra, because we have to move on. Um, I'm going to be bad cop here. Uh, please, Kyle, give us the rundown on the legend of Korra. Yes. Uh, the legend of Korra is the se- sort of sequel to uh, The Last Airbender, and it takes place about 80 years after the events of The Last Airbender. And um, it's the next Avatar, which is Korra. And so the implication there is that Aang died. Aang did die. He you know, lived to be an old man. He had children. Uh, and now there's a, a new Avatar. And it's this young, awesome girl named Korra. And what's great about Korra is that she's sort of an inverse of Aang. Aang 
you know, was an air nomad. So he was very spiritual and he was very like carefree. And, you know, he had a, he was very developed uh, emotionally. Cora is a very like cool tomboy. Like she is a master of the physical elements of bending, but the spiritual side of being the avatar, she just doesn't, doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't really get it. So that's a really cool like inverse of like, you know, we saw Aang go through this journey of being this gentle, you know, boy become this warrior, you know, symbol of hope for the world. And then you have this girl who's ready to be that. He's, she's ready to be what Aang was at the end of her story. But, you know, she she can't because she can't, at least at the start of her journey, she can't tap into that. She can't airbend specifically. In the first season, she's having the hardest time airbending. She doesn't know how she can do it. She doesn't understand it. It's not her opposite element. She just doesn't have a spiritual side. And air is the most spiritual element. So... So, it's so good. So she is Aang's daughter? No, she is Aang's reincarnation. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, oh, yeah, we're going to have to. We're going to have to. Clear that up woo. just a just a bit. So when an avatar dies, they reincarnate into uh, a, a new being, into a new person. And it, as I said, it goes in a cycle. So the, yeah. last, the last one was an airbender, Aang, and so now it's a waterbender. Korra, who's from the Southern Water Tribe, which is the same place Katara and Sokka are from. Oh, oh! so she is from the Water Tribe, but she's trying to learn how to airbend. Yes. she's. Okay. She, when you meet Korra, she's already master, pretty much mastered um, waterbending, earthbending, and firebending. Like, she's, oh, wow. she's, she already knows all the physical elements. You know, she's a badass. She's really, really good at, uh, like I said, the physical elements of bending and fighting and whatnot. Um, but she lacks the emotional intelligence and the spiritual intelligence that Aang started out with. So when you say reincarnated, does does this mean she doesn't have parents? No, no, no. She she does have parents. She absolutely has parents, but her past life she was Aang. And what's, oh. what's really cool is that you you find out that she learned waterbending from Katara. So imagine imagine the emotional arc there of you know being Katara and being like you know ninety years old, <laughs> and your husband dies, and then you have to train his reincarnated self in yeah. waterbending, which is what you did eighty years prior. <laughs> oh wow! Dang, that's wow! It's pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I did want to say uh, that it aired April fourteenth, twenty twelve. Yes. And then it looks like the final episode was December 19th of 2014. So it was only actually out for two years. And well, the, and the final two seasons aired in the same year, uh, in, in 2014. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there was, a, there was a big kerfuffle with Nickelodeon because Nickelodeon didn't think it was going to do well. And then towards the end of the fourth season, they took it off the air and it only aired digitally. But the numbers were so great that they brought it back to air for the last three episodes, I believe. Uh, and it's 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 amazing. As I said earlier, you know, um, the last Airbender is a very self-contained story about you know taking down the Fire Lord and the Fire Nation. But Korra is four seasons of a very of very different circumstances. And you know, they always have to be like, well, who was the better Avatar, Aang or Korra? And like, I'm biased because like I'm a queer person and Korra is queer, so like I'm gonna mm-hmm. always gonna side with Korra. But my opinion of why Korra is the more interesting Avatar is that Korra had to go through four incredibly messed up situations. You know, she had to fight a guy that, you know, there, there was a guy named Amon in the first season who was leading an anti-bender movement. Who was ba- He was basically like a cult leader and he had the ability to take away people's bending uh, with blood bending, you found out later. But uh, she had to fight that, which was like there was an anti-bending movement. Like there was a whole group of people that thought that benders and by extension the Avatar were evil. You know, so she had to face that. She had to face you know, um, a, a religious zealot. She had to face, and the third season, probably one of my favorite seasons, um, Henry Rollins um, is the villain and he plays an evil airbender uh, because through a series of events, airbenders start to reemerge in the world and he's one of them and he's not the happy-go-lucky, joyful monks that we met before. He's an anarchist. It's the dark side of freedom, you know, because air is the element of freedom. Air is the element, you know, it's Buddhism, it's detachment and whatnot, but you could also incorporate it with being anarchy with it being about like you know and season three is where you actually see someone die on camera oh wow yeah he straight up chokes a woman to death with airbending wow (laughs) yeah it's really amazing (laughs) what's interesting here is it seems like also with Cora, nick didn't really have faith in it nick almost didn't want it to win (laughs) it felt it feels like i think nick kind of saw it as a nuisance 
if I'd have to say so myself. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, it, the fact that it, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, from a fan's perspective, like, I didn't see, like, the fervent support that it deserved, you know? Like, they, I don't know, especially with the fact that they took off, you know, uh, uh, season four off the air and then, you know, only re-aired it after they saw the numbers, you know? Like, it just kind of shows that, like, I mean, maybe maybe the content made them feel nervous. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know the whole story there. But, like, it definitely does seem like Nickelodeon wasn't as supportive as they should have been in that time. And yeah, someone who's just got done reading up and researching Nickelodeon twice, there's two things you just said that might make me think that Nickelodeon was a little shook. It, I, I don't know. You can tell me what you feel about this, Dane, but it, it is cool doing this after doing the Nickelodeon episode because it seems like they have a very, like straightforward brand that they're going mm-hmm. for and totally. don't want to fear outside yeah. of it. Totally, yeah. Whereas like Cartoon Network, it went the opposite way with creating stuff like uh Toonami soon come uh mm-hmm. and Adult Swim soon come. Uh you know, so so to see like the two sides of it and to see that you still with that kind of almost strict point of view we still got like adventure time you know yeah. like it's it's interesting it's almost like the creators have to play this weird mind trick with nickelodeon to make it because if you if you ask me like things like uh the regular show was cartoon network but uh things like also adventure time is cartoon network too mm-hmm. isn't it? yeah um, well, never well, mind. That I'll, takes my whole point. Away. I'll say as far as Nickelodeon is concerned, like some of the most memorable shows, in my opinion, are the ones that like are really risked, are the ones that take risks. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like in, Invader Zim, um, you know, Rocco's. But that was another like, one where they had an issue with the creator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was another I, issue where he mm-hmm. wanted to keep it dark. Remember yep. Hector was talking about he wanted to keep a lot of the more his individualistic and like adult elements yep. of that he wanted his style in there. And they said no. And he took it away. Yeah. Which <laughs> sucks because Invader Zim was so good. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, it was another one where the creators were just like, no, I don't. I don't want you, you know, yeah. kidding this. Actually, down. to yeah, walk back what I was saying just before this. Looking at Nickelodeon's rosters, Cora is a standout. Like I'm mm-hmm. just gonna run down some of the stuff they have uh, just popped up when yeah. you look at their roster. You have SpongeBob. Then they listed Avatar. Then you got Loud House. Uh, you got that uh, <laughs> Fairly Odd Parents, Rugrats, Legend of Cora. Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is definitely leaning more on the kid-friendly side of things. Hey Arnold, Danny Phantom, Mm -hmm. Doug. It does feel like the redheaded stepchild of all these shows. Oh, completely. Yeah, it definitely does not fit. There's not a single show on there that that is like it at all. Yeah. I did want to talk uh, again about the martial arts that is in Legend of Korra. So Chinese martial arts instructor Sifu Kisu consulted on Avatar The Last Airbender and returned as a consultant for the fight scenes in The Legend of Korra. Also MMA fighters Jeremy Humphreys and Mac Danzig were credited with providing a lot of the moves you'll see in the pro bending arena. And Steve Harada and Jake Hung provided the stylized flips and acrobatics of tricking to the series fighting style. So that's pretty yes. dope. Yeah, they uh one of the cool things that they introduced in Legend of Korra is the idea of pro bending. Um uh and basically bending has become a multi-billion dollar industry in that like, you know, you have um people that are like bending to try to like knock people out of rings and stuff and Korra yeah. really wants to be a pro bender and she's learning how to bend in that specific style. Yeah. Cause you find out that like, you know, pro pro earthbenders bend differently than like how you would traditionally earthbend. Yeah. They're much more like shadow boxers than like, you know, that reminds me of my hero academia, Yeah, which is so fascinating. Just see like how many influences I feel like, uh, cause they also have people that have special quirks and powers and then they use them in pro arena oh nice yeah, yeah. situations speaking of influences a little trivia factoid for you uh the character pian dao that appears in avatar is actually dedicated and kind of loosely based off of sifu kisu that's amazing yeah yeah uh that's that's sokka's master oh uh, yeah there's there's a really great because sokka is the only non-bender and like the in team avatar basically mm-hmm. and um he's kind of this the tactician you know he he makes up for it in a lot of other ways but there's a really great episode where it's called sokka's master i believe and i believe it's in the third season where he trains with a master swordsman and that's master pian dao and it's this great moment where you know he they find out that they're water tribe and that they're traveling with the avatar and they're in the fire nation and you think master pian dao is attacking him for that reason and it's a great moment where you find out, no, it's because he's testing Sokka. 
And um, the whole time he's fighting him, you know, he'll be like, you know, you know, adjusting the terrain to, you know, combat your opponent. Excellent work, Sokka. You know, like while he's <laughs> trying to kill him, basically. Yeah, uh, so he's a great character, Master Piandao. Wow. Well, that feel like, like that that wraps yeah. up a lot of it. I you know, here's a fun place I think to kind of land for for folks. If someone listening to this, besides the beginning, <laughs> an episode that you think people should see, shouldn't miss, that would give them a great idea of the series and why they would love it for both of them. For for the last Airbender. I would have to say the episode for me would have to be the Blue Spirit. Mm. That is an episode that really shows who Aang and Zuko are and how mm. they are. Zuko's kind of a primary antagonist, anti-hero throughout the whole series. And him and Aang have a very amazing relationship. And the way that they play off of each other, it really does kind of bring into perspective, like not only their relationship with each other, but the relationship between nations and about how the Fire Nation has completely changed the way that they're viewed um with the world and everything and um it's, it's a really beautiful episode with the legend of Korra, i would have to say the episode I'm, i it's hard to not pick an episode that's not in the first season because i feel like that you know they set them up in such cool ways uh but for me i would say for legend of Korra, i'm gonna have to say Ah, that's hard. That's kind of hard because they're all so different. <laughs> yeah. All of the seasons are so different. Uh, but I will say I really dig the episode. Uh, I really dig the finale of, of season one. Um, there's a there's a moment in it that like Korra happened at a really integral part in my life. Um, and there are several seasons of Korra that like hit me on such deep emotional levels to the point where I don't necessarily know if I would be here, not necessarily like in a dramatic, I would be dead kind of way, but like, I don't know if I would still be in Los Angeles if it hadn't been for that show. And um, it had, it was, it's there. And there's a moment in season one where uh, someone says to Cora, when we hit our lowest point, we are open to the greatest change. And that is like a spiritual unlocking moment for Cora. And yeah. that's, I want you to just say that one more time. <laughs> no, like seriously, because I feel like. There could be someone listening that might need to hear that. And that's just one of those banger quotes that I'd like to hear twice. I have another one after that. All right. Yeah, yeah. When we hit our lowest point, we are open to the greatest change. Mm-hmm. And the other quote that I want to bring out is from Uncle Iroh in season two of The Last Airbender. And it's, in our darkest of times, hope is something you give yourself. That is the meaning of inner strength. I have one as well, Iffy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is our think quote section. Um, fate. <laughs> rarely calls upon us at a moment of our choosing. Oh, wow. Who said that? that? Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes, Optimus Prime! Yes! Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I did want to say, yeah, not giving anything away, but we did talk about in our, if you haven't listened to our LGBTQ or our queer representation in, nerd, in Nerddom, that was episode right before this one. We talked a little bit about the the queer characters in Legend of Korra. So uh, if you want to revisit that, because that that is important. Just a quick thing here, because I think a couple of fans were, I think we touched on this, but a couple of fans were upset that these two characters didn't kiss. And it said, uh, um, yeah. having to do with Nickelodeon, I guess, was the main reason why. Um, I will say for what they did do, though, was like, they. I don't think a kiss was necessary. I'll, I'll I'll go yeah. on record and say that what happened was I do believe that there could have been a few more hints in season four that what was going on was going on. But when it did become apparent, I almost mm-hmm. felt like, oh, yeah, that's kind of none of my business. Like yeah. I kind of had this moment where like, I kind of don't care. Like, it's, yeah. that's, that's kind of their business. Right. <laughs> and that it was just a beautiful moment oh, in so general. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, iffy. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. I, it was so great having you on, Kyle. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, I'm going to have a series on Machinima's Happy Hour channel that's going to be uh, a weekly animated series called Patch Notes. That's kind of a parody of the Jeff Kaplan Overwatch updates. And it's going to be animated and it's going to be weird and it's going to be fun. And um, they're going to start weekly uh, October 16th. Dope. All right, Danny, how about you? Dude, I am going to be at New York Comic Con. Come check out my panel October 5th. I don't know if I'm allowed to announce it, but that um, I, I will. I don't know. Follow me on Twitter, please, at Ms. Danny Fernandez. I know that I said about memes. You can tweet them at me. Please don't privately DM me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the meme ban is over for Danny. 
Uh, as for me, you know, it's your boy Ify Wadiway on Twitter. Ify Wadiway also on Instagram. Ifty's on Twitch. If you want to come hang, lots of the hashtag nerd fam coming through, dropping those Twitch Prime subs. Want first off, foremost, thank you so much. I love you so much. Second off, second most, you gotta re up them every month they don't automatically do it i know i said i do a reminder every now and then i changed my mind i'm doing it every episode uh (laughs) uh and yeah if you're in dc i will be in dc the last weekend of this month with white women for the dc improv fest so uh buckle up we'll be there uh and when you're if if some of y'all in chicago at the chicago podcast fest seeing the daily zeitgeist and culture kings live ask them where nerdificent at that's that's all you need. That, that's yep. what I just walk. Like if if they have an open QA, uh, just walk up to the mic and be like, "Where Nerdificent at?" Uh, and record somebody doing it, and we'll send you a shirt. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna end this episode with uh, two quotes. My first one that I end every episode <laughs> with: "Stay nerdy, everyone." And the second one: "Power comes in response to a need, not a desire. You have to create that need." That was a quote from Goku. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Are you sure? That is 100%. Is important. that one of those, like, comic book report whatever things? Are they, like, got it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know what? It's Stay nerdy. To me. Stay it's nerdy. Real, it's real to me, damn it. <laughs> Stay nerdy. <laughs>